0: Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with Holy Spirit. Amen? That's, that's what we long for. Acts 2 opens up with the arrival of Holy Spirit. There were 20 freaked out Christ followers who were sitting in a upper room just waiting and they'd been waiting 50 days when all of a sudden the promised gift showed up in such a dramatic way that there was no denying that this was God. This was the seal that they'd been waiting for. Paul goes on to write about this seal in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the uh, the promised Holy Spirit. That that, that is good news. If you are walking with Jesus right now, there was a time where where, where the Holy Spirit back then that they would... uh, emperors, Caesars, whatever, they would take this wax and pour it on on an envelope or a piece of paper, and then they would stamp it, and they would seal it, right? And and so, Holy Spirit did that for us. When, When we chose to follow Jesus, he stamped it and said, mine. What's interesting is that nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to get Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be indwelt by Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be sealed by Holy Spirit or even baptized by Holy Spirit. We're not commanded that. We are commanded to be filled with Holy Spirit. If we would go on in in Acts chapter 2, by the time we got to verse 38, we would see that Paul tells us, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you will be filled or immersed or baptized by Holy Spirit, okay? So, what we see here that I think is extremely important, and maybe you hadn't heard before, but but let's log this away today, it it is one seal, seal, many feelings one seal, one baptism, yet many fillings. The same group that we just read about in Acts chapter 2, they're sitting in a room in Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later, and here's what we see. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They had been filled and they once again were filled. We we see this in the very life of Paul, right? Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with Holy Spirit. If we just skip forward to Acts 13, we see that Paul is filled again. Acts 17, Paul is filled by the Holy Spirit again all throughout the book of Acts. We see this, that Paul is being filled. One of the times that he was filled, he was in a prison and he sat down and wrote a letter to the Ephesians, right? And in that, Paul commands us, his followers, children, his descendants, to also be filled, right? Ephesians chapter 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit." Be intentional, Paul's saying, with your time because how you live really matters on this earth. Paul takes the the role of a loving parent, right? And he's just guiding and instructing and teaching his kids how to live out this Christian life. And so, in the first four chapters, he kind of lays out a few parameters. Not a bunch, not a list of rules, not a whole bunch, but there are some parameters for us to, to live within. But, but within those parameters, we can have freedom. J- just like the garden, right? Heavenly Father puts, puts humanity into the garden, blesses them, gives them just a couple of things to not do, right? Within that, you've got ultimate freedom. And so do we. The, the, the thing I think that matters about this last line, this, but be filled with the Spirit, is A, it's a command, right? It's, it's written in command language, which means we can do it. It's actually possible for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or Paul would have never commanded it. Second thing we see is it's written in the passive voice, right? So it's not something that we can do necessarily. It's something that happens to us, but what we, we have an active participation in that we have to make room. We have to empty some of ourselves so there's room, so that the outside force of the Holy Spirit can pour into us and be an internal force. Second, uh, third thing that we see in just those few short words is that it's plural, this, this is a plural sentence. And he's writing and he's saying, hey, all Ephesians and therefore all people, this is for you. The promised gift is, is for you. It's not just for some spiritual elite. It's not just for leaders in the church. It, it is for all of us to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then the final thing that I think it may be the, may be the most important is it's written in the present tense. So really, maybe a more appropriate translation is this idea of be being filled. You get that? Be being filled continuously again and again and again. And to illustrate really how important this is and how we get to the last few words there, be filled with the Spirit, Paul gives us three cont- contrasting pairs. Uh, hopefully you see those. The first one is not, we are to live not as, not us, not as unwise but as wise, not unwise, but as wise. Second pair, not as foolish, but understanding the Lord's will. Third contrasting pair, not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. Th- these are really important. We'll, we'll look at them one at a time. Uh, the, the first is this idea of being wise. I think a lot of times when, when we think of somebody who's wise, we think about their intellect, or they're smart. You know, the wisdom is something up here, it's it's in the mind which is part of it, and the Bible does, does address that, but it has a more robust view of wisdom than just simply intelligence. It includes knowledge, it includes understanding, but it's a bigger idea. And what's happening right here, and what's really kind of unique, is that Paul's reflecting back on Exodus 31, where we just were a few weeks ago, right? When, when the nation of Israel is led out of bondage, and he's building for himself a dwelling place on planet Earth, the temple right? And in Exodus 31, uh, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artist designs, artistic designs, for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. The, the Hebrew word here for wisdom is the word chokmah. Hokma, right? And chokmah, again, it's the word for wisdom, but here's what it means. It's make, it, it means make the most of every opportunity, right? Th- that's what this wisdom me- means. So, it's not you have wisdom and understanding and knowledge and skills the way you have wisdom is to have all three to possess all three So, how do you know if a person has chokmah? They make beautiful things If a person has wisdom they have knowledge and understandings and they use all of their day-to-day skills their work to bring about something beautiful. To bring about the potential of something or someone. How does Paul define this? In Ephesians chapter 5, if you, if you look back, the very same way. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Or in the New International Version, the one I read out of, it says, making the best use of your time. Are you willing to ask, Holy Spirit, is this, what I'm doing right now, the best use of my time? I think we could argue there's some good things to do, but is it the, is it the best? And are you willing to ask that? Is this Netflix binge series? There are times to unplug and unwind, but, but sometimes, are you at least willing, I'm not, I don't want to be legalistic, but are you at least willing to say, is this, the, is this the best way for me to maximize the potential of this moment on behalf of the kingdom of God? That's the first point. Second, not foolish but understanding the Lord's will. You, you see, back to this idea of wisdom, wisdom is simply bringing our story into alignment with God's will. But how do we know what God's will is? Wisdom leads to it. We know that, right? Wisdom leads to understanding God's will, but but I think so does a good understanding. I think many of us have misunderstood this idea of God's will, like it's this point on a map. It's, this, it's almost like a, maybe even a secret hidden plan, and it's our responsibility to spend our life trying to dig and uncover what is God's will. It's almost like this, that there's point A, and God's will is point B, and we have to figure out how to navigate how to get there strangely enough. And so, here's how that manifests for you and me. Is it God's will that I take this job? Is it God's will that I major in this, choose this college, ask her out, move to this house, buy this house? Is it God's will for that? I'm not saying that he doesn't care. That's between you and him, right? And I think it's certainly worth praying about. But when the Bible talks about God's will, he never talks about it that way. Sometimes he talks to us about God's will as parameters, right? That's what we saw in, in the first three or four chapters of Ephesians, right? If you, that's a great thing. If you're looking for where do I go next, I, go back over Ephesians. The first three or four chapters, he lays out some parameters. One of them, chapter four, right before the reading that we're talking about here, he talks about sexual purity. It, it will never be God's will for you to have sex with somebody that's not your spouse. Can we agree? It will never be God's will. I mean, think, Paul's just being a parent to us, right? Good parents put parameters for our children, right? And then we get, hopefully just a few, and then we give them a lot of freedom, right? So if we get a free day, it's a Saturday. If Eli and I, they're wondering, is can we go play pass? Can we go throw the ball around? Can we shoot baskets? Can, can we go fishing? Or maybe do a craft? Or, or spend some extra time on the computer doing, doing math quizzes? Any of those would be my will, right? I don't care, maximum freedom. D- do what you want. But it will never be my will for them to talk back to their mother, play in the street, or throw a golf club through the window. Right, Chase? (laughs) Never God, never my will. So, how do we know what God's will is? Do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will that comes out of Romans 12, right? Third thing, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. It leads to debauchery. The King James calls it dissipation. Right? What is dissipation? What is debauchery? It just simply means living without restraint or being without restraint. Right? Drunks, they, they, don't, they don't have control. Right? They don't have control of their tongue. You might know a funny drunk or, or a mean drunk. Either way, you don't have any idea what's about to come out of their mouth, right? They, they don't have any control. The, the inebriated people don't have any control over their bodies, right? That's why if police officer pulls you over, you've drank too much, they get you out, and they have you walk a line. And if you don't have control of your body, you've go, you're going to pay a consequence, right? If you're inebriated, you don't have control of your tongue, your body, or your mind and emotions. Ever been with somebody who's drank too much and all they do is just cry? Or laugh, <laughs> right? They just don't have control over their emo- uh, emotions, right? And, and any kind of mind altering substance, we just gotta be careful with. Again, this is a contrast. So he's not saying, be out of con- don't be out of control with alcohol, be out of control with the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not what this is. This is a contrast, right? That don't be wise, unwise, be wise. Don't be foolish. Understand the Lord's will. And the third, don't get drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only similarity there is that there's an outside force that's coming in and influencing us, right? Discerning and making good decisions requires a clear and unadulterated mind, okay? Whether it's alcohol, pot, too much TV, or anything else that, anxiousness, anything else that makes your mind where you can't make wise decisions. Be wise. So this new, so if you want to make the best use of your time, maximize the, that moment, that potential opportunity, one way to not do that is to be inebriated, right? So. When new humanity, Paul talks about, this new humanity, those that are walking with Jesus, those who've been, been made new, those who are filled with Holy Spirit, this new humanity now has a new awareness, a new sensitivity, and in fact, you have a new reality, a new identity. And the New Testament calls this a baptism of the Holy Spirit or or in and, uh, being engulfed with the, the Holy Spirit. So what's interesting, the Bible never says, in fact, you can't be unsealed by the Holy Spirit. You can't. You can't be unbaptized by Holy Spirit. But Ephesians 4 tells us that you can grieve Holy Spirit. You can grieve Holy Spirit. How? By being full of yourself and not Him by not making room for him, by living unwisely. The Bible goes on to say that we can actually put out or extinguish the flame of Holy Spirit in our lives. To to say this maybe a, a positive way, God is inviting us into newer and newer experiences with the presence of Jesus through his spirit. His influence can and will, if we'll make room, fill up every corner of our life. Let's try it this way. When are you the best version of yourself? When are you at your best? I think many of you would argue when I'm with somebody else. When I'm with my spouse. Or a parent. Or a good godly friend. When I'm with them, I make good decisions. I speak kind words. I don't put... Things I shouldn't put into my body or into my eyes or ears. When I'm with them, I'm at my best. When I'm not with them, I I, I revert back to some poor habits. Very poor example. She has much better influences than this. But if Alicia's out of town, takes the boys up to Kansas to see her mother. I, I I may not shower that Saturday. I, I fish too much when she's not around and, and, and smell like fish, and, and I, if I eat, it's ramen noodles and not the good kind where you go to the restaurant, right? And then the 99 cent deal, and it's that, and the house is a wreck until one hour before she gets home, right? <laughs> when her influence is, is, is not there, I, I revert back to little boy stuff. Do you you get what I'm saying? Do do you have somebody in your life who makes you a better human being? That's a group question. Do you have somebody in your life who makes you a better human being? Okay, so here I think is an interesting question that we should ask ourselves. When I'm around that person, is is it me making me better or is it her? Is it them? Is it me making me better or, or, or is it them? I hope that question makes sense because here's what I know. I know that I've grown and I know that I've developed as a person because of Alicia. So is that me or is that her? She, she has a huge influence on my life, but I have to allow that influence, right? Her presence is obvious, but at the end of the day, who has to submit to being willing Who has to willingly submit to her influence? I do. So it's really both of us. It takes both of us. It takes me being in her presence and then a willingness to submit. You get where I'm going? The reality is that we have all been made new. So now the question is, will you open yourself up to this new person? Holy Spirit. Who's... Living in you, wanting to pour into you, whose presence will both convict and inspire. He'll teach us. No, no, no. That's that's not wise. That that would be a, a foolish decision. Don't don't go that direction. Don't take that first step. No, 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 this, that's a good idea. What you're feeling right there, that's me. You, you, you should go with this. You should pay for the groceries for the person behind you. That, this is me. Listen, this, this will make somebody's day. This will maximize the p- potential of this moment for the kingdom of God. So I ask you today, are you willing to allow Holy Spirit to influence every area of your life? will you hold it with an open hand? Whether it's substances, things you watch, actions that you have, relationships that you're engaged in, without being legalistic and saying you can't do this, you can't do this, I'm asking are you willing to have everything in your life held with an open hand and say Holy Spirit, would you have me take this, drink this, Go out with her. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do in this moment? What would maximize this moment in time for the kingdom of God? What we see in Ephesians, by the way, we covered that. Oh, let's just, let's ask this. This was a while ago. (laughs) What, What would your speech, what does your speech sound like when it's under the control of the Holy Spirit? What does your body do under the control of Holy Spirit? And then what do your mind and emotions look like under the control of the Holy Spirit? What, what would that be? It would, it, would look, it would begin to look like this. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, giving thanks always for in everything, right? Whether it's the good or the bad, we're, we're living thankful lives to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else will we do? We'll submit to one another. So when we have godly friends, we'll just say, I'm not sure whether this is good for me or not, Trent, what do you think? And that's where the Spirit of God uses the body of Christ to help us make wise decisions and maximize our potential. So what we see is that wisdom, discerning God's will, being filled with the Holy Spirit, those are the guideposts, but what's the overflow? The overflow is worship, gratitude, and submission to others. Do you have people that are close to you who are walking with Jesus that you allow to speak into your life? And, and when they bring something up, your first thing isn't to be defensive. Your first thing is to say thank you. I'm not sure I agree with you, but I wanna I want thank you for having the courage to share that with me. Let's pray together and see if that's a blind spot that I have, something that's not best for me. It's not the best use of my time. Might be good, but not best. And we have a final thing, right? A, a final thing is that, that we will be his witness. When we are filled with Holy Spirit, we ultimately will be his witness. We go, we'll finish where we ended. We're landing the plane here. And that is Acts chapter two. Right after they were filled with Holy Spirit, you have to bear with me on some of these names, but now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's the entire known world, by the way. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these uh, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. That is this is an incredible moment. Pentecost ought to be something that we celebrate. As often as we do Easter, not just once a year, but we celebrate Easter every Sunday we come here. We should be celebrating the, the appearance of the Holy Spirit every Sunday as well and throughout the week. Why did all these people start speaking in other Languages, it was festival season, right? There's four times the number of people in Jerusalem as there normally is. People from all over the known world, it says. The population is just, everybody packed in. And guess what happened? When Holy Spirit shows up, when Holy Spirit shows up within 15 minutes, 15 countries are hearing the good news in their own language, amen? When Holy Spirit has filled our lives, It goes out. Tongues of fire set tongues on fire. That's what Holy Spirit does. He, He makes us what he is, and Peter goes out and preaches the gospel, and the church of Christ is born. The gospel cannot be contained unless we choose to contain it, not share it, not speak of it. How else do you know if you have Holy Spirit? If you speak in other languages? Maybe, not necessarily. But you'll know that you're filled with Holy Spirit if you are a willing participant in being a witness for Jesus. You'll know you're filled filled up. You can't do it without Him. If you join this Missio Day, this mission of God, what, what is that? What is the mission of God? We see it. We see it lived out right here. When Holy Spirit shows up, we see the mission of God. Jerusalem gets the gospel. Judea gets the gospel. Samaria gets the gospel. The ends of the earth gets the gospel on day one. Not everybody, but somebody from everywhere in the known world gets the gospel. The mission of God, therefore, is the mission of the church, and that is everybody. Everybody gets the gospel. You and I have a part to play. That's what it means to make the most of every opportunity. And we've been praying for revival. But revival will not happen. If you and I, if we wait for somebody else to be filled with the Spirit, it'll never happen. Revival can happen if each one of us individually get filled up, empty ourselves, and allow him room. The gospel cannot be contained, amen? The band, come back up. And I just wanna ask you a few questions before we go into a time of communion. First question, you can, let's just let's bow our heads. It may just help us focus. Let me ask you, have you been sealed with Holy Spirit? Do you know that you've been sealed with Holy Spirit? Have you made the decision to repent, be baptized, and have your sins forgiven? Because if you do those three things, have you been filled but aren't filled right now? This is not a one-time deal. The filling of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing be being filled. Are you filled right now in this moment? Is there any area in your life that you're unwilling to submit to the Holy Spirit to do whatever the heck you'd want to do? Is there any area? Right now, there was a camera on your life and we showed it up on the screen. Are you living wisely? And then finally, are you sharing his story of victory in a language that others can hear and understand in their own tongue, in their own way? Are you developing relationships where you can really speak to the heart and they get it because you get them?